Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, of thy abnormally long lots of reading um, as we get into the text I'll explain why I uh, I will read today's text but I'm almost tempted to say you can be seated for that <laughs> but today's text is Genesis 11 27 to 12 3 and then we have a couple of texts after that it's compared to what we've been reading today this is relatively short now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Naor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Naor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarah, and the name of Naor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Now Sarah was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abraham's wife. And they went forth together from Ur to the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 15:7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of out from Ur of the Chaldees to the give you possession of the land. And finally, Genesis 15, 12 to 16. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Now for certain, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. I think we're having some technical difficulties. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. 
All right. This has been a very faithful crowd today, listening to a lot of Scripture. You know, he asks me to pick these texts, and typically I try to keep them short, and I was finding myself stuck with long texts, because every text I picked was about history. It's like trying to recite the history of the United States in a short period of time, and it's tough. Well, I haven't done a handheld mic in a long time. Can everybody hear me now? No, we don't have. Hello? There we, well, no, we still got an issue. Okay, we good now? Not yet. Hello, hello? Either one, the handheld or the lapel. Well, I think the blowers. Okay, are we there now? Are we good? All right. Perfect. Okay, sorry about that, even though it's not my fault. I'm still saying sorry. Okay, so getting back, how much of anything did anybody hear before this microphone happened? Not much? A little bit. Okay. So the reason why we had those long texts is because we're rehearsing history. And history is something that it's hard to be concise and rehearse quickly. And so I come to today's text. The idea behind what I'm talking about, and I'm trying to gather my thoughts now because now I'm... The title for today's message is The Providence of God in Canaan and the Call of Abraham. So... Uh, in, in reading, and I've been doing a deep dive of Genesis particularly chapters 4 through 12, these are not chapters we usually spend a lot of time in. But it covers a lot of time and a lot of history. It's only six chapters, but it's covering thousands of years of history. And so God wants to highlight certain things in that history so that he can bring us up to speed to the redemptive plan that he plans to bring through Abraham. In 1977, George Lucas came out with the blockbuster movie, Star Wars, A New Hope. It was one of those iconic movies that would shape the sci-fi, CGI, and movie making for the next generation. It left its mark on the culture with the Force, and such indelible characters as Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Han Solo, Princess Leia, and of course... The little green guy, Yoda, with his reverse syntax. Know you what I mean? The movie starts with a Darth Vader trying to retrieve the stolen secret plans that hold the key to the destruction of the Death Star. We all remember that? These secret plans are the new hope for the rebellion that will ultimately destroy the Death Star and end, bring an end to the evil empire. This scene, however, is not the beginning of the story, but only the beginning of the end of a long and ongoing struggle between the forces of good and the forces of evil. The prequel, Rogue One, a recent addition to the Star Wars series, gives us the backstory to that opening scene. So when we all saw that movie, well, 
Not many of us in the room saw that movie in 1977, but when it first came out, we were just amazed at this movie, and we thought this was the beginning of the story. But it was not. It was a leap into the middle of a story that had already been going on and that had time to roll out. So likewise, the prequel to the call of Abraham is found in Genesis. You know, most New Testament preaching and most of the awareness that you have of, Abra of, of the New Testament of Abraham starts in Genesis 12. Whoever really pays attention to what happened before that? We just think that's the start of the story of redemption and that the other stuff kind of fills in the blanks. Okay? But I'm going to give us some highlights of the prequel so that we can have a good feel for who Abraham is and what's going on. Because we're going to talk about God's providence today. We're not getting deep dives in theology. We're going to understand how God works in your life, my life, Abraham's life, and how he literally moves heaven and earth to make things happen. So likewise, the prequel to the call of Abraham is found in Genesis chapters 4 through 11. The whole rest of the Bible starting with chapter 12 in Genesis, moving forward will be the teasing out of God's covenant with Abraham. It's what we call the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham marks the beginning of the end in which God will bring about the redemption of his people and the destruction of evil, sin, and death. Peter, Paul, and Stephen, that was that big, long story that you just heard. They all start with Abraham. When they want to explain to everybody who Jesus is and what has been occurring, they all start with Abraham. See? Everybody starts with Abraham, but we don't know how we got to Abraham. Romans 3 and 4 is, is, is Paul's big uh, uh, dissertation on who Abraham is. Galatians 3.29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Acts 3.25, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And finally, in Acts 7.2, which is where we read today, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. So here's some of the highlights I want to bring about those chapters before Abraham. And we're not going to spend all day there because I really want to get into Abraham, but I'd like us to understand the setting. This is what spoke to me when I studied Genesis. Not just who the players were, but how it all fit together. And how it changed my view of who Abraham was and how we view the scriptures in this area. So, one of the main points that I see in chapter 5 is this guy Lamech. And he has this, this prophecy, basically. And it says, When Lamech had lived 182 years old, he fathered a son. 29 and called him when he was 29 and called him Noah saying out of the ground that the Lord has cursed this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands Lamech lived after he fe after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters 
Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Now, that seems like a pretty innocuous verse, but it's become one of my favorite verses in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Why is that? Because it shows us that the toil and the agony, and I've mentioned this before in this church, the toil and the agony that mankind was living under the curse. It says here, Lamech says that perhaps this one will bring us relief from our work. What work? The toil. Do you know that these guys are living 700, 800, 900 years? Have you ever been to the office and you're done after five days and you're, and you're just like, I can't wait for the weekend? How would you like to do that for 700 years? How would you like to be stuck in the cubicle for that long? Or stuck doing the, the, the work in the fields for 700 years? Would you be ready for some relief? That's one little verse, but look at what it says. He's, he's literally lamenting, oh God, perhaps this is the one that will deliver us from our toil. I want us to know that Abraham is in chapter 12, but there is an onslaught of history that gets us to chapter 12 that we just miss. And kind of as an interesting point here, Lamech dies five years before the flood. He just missed it. But you know what he did get to see? He got to see Noah building an ark. Now, here's something really interesting that I, I, I also noticed. Methuselah was Lamech's father, and he outlived Lamech by five years, if you do the math. That means that Lamech's father, who had Noah and got to see what God was doing with Noah, he outlived Lamech by five years and saw the flood, unless the Lord took him just before the flood. See, we, we see these, these, these stories, and we don't put the numbers together, but these are real people that live real lives. You know, we think of 9-11 as a big tragedy. Those are real people that had real stories. These are real people with real stories. I saw my son die five years before I saw the whole world destroyed. That's a circumstance. Now, that's a circumstance. Because today's... Today's message is about God's providence. That means how God works in our lives. 292 years after the flood, Abraham is born. This is highlight point number two in the prequel. 292 years after the flood. Now, how many think of Abraham and think that he's way after the flood? When you think of Abraham, don't you think that, that the flood was way before Abraham? But you know that Abraham was only less than 300 years after the flood, Abraham was born. So he may well have been a contemporary of Job. It, it's probably 100 to 150 years after the flood that the Tower of Babel occurs. And so what this story tells me is Abraham is far more ancient then he is modern. But we're so used to hearing about him in the New Testament that we think, oh, he's like around Moses and around, you know, Moses comes a long time after Abraham, about 400 years to be exact. What, what's the significance of that? What's the great theological truth? Not much other than, hey, Abraham's really old. 
See, I, I, I'm not getting into complex theology today. I'm just trying to show you what the Bible says and help us get into the story so that we can relate to these people. This is not mythology. This is real people like you and me who put their shoes on or their sandals on one foot at a time. And I really am going somewhere with all this. Abraham is far more ancient than he is modern. So what is providence? I just happen to have a definition in the dictionary. It is the foreseeing care and guidance of God or nature. We could scratch that out. This is a secular source. The foreseeing care and guidance of God over the creatures of the earth. God, especially when conceived as omnisciently directing the universe in the affairs of humankind with wise benevolence. That's what providence is. What that means is everything that's happening in your life. I, I got to meet a young man today who's here for our first or second time. That's not happenstance. That's not I got lucky. There's no such thing as luck in the universe. Do you know if you buy a lotto ticket today and you win it, either God is, is judging you or he's sanctifying you, but you didn't win that lottery by accident or pure luck. There's no such thing. God is directing and manipulating the whole world moment by moment to have you in the seat you're in today, in the circumstance you find yourself, and the Scripture says why? For the good of them that love him and that are called according to his service. All things happen together for the good. Okay? Nothing happens. And I just covered thousands of years of circumstances and happenstances for one reason. And this is what really blew my mind when I studied those chapters. All this cataclysm, floods, centuries of misery and despair under the curse of work. A flood that destroys the world. A tower that confuses all the languages of the earth. Would you say those are rather large events? I mean, I can't think, I mean, World War II was a pretty big deal. But I don't remember the languages of the world being confused as a result. I don't remember the whole world being destroyed. These are huge events. And as I'm experiencing all this, I'm like, storm, flood, languages. And it ends with the very next stage out of that epoch, if you will, out of that chapter of reality is, now God called Abraham. I mean, what a little tiny moment in history. What is the big deal about that? Well, we understand it from a New Testament perspective. But can you imagine that? God literally moved heaven and earth, mountains, languages, to get us to one point in history. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I said, Wow. God just literally moved heaven and earth to get us to Abraham. That 
is a big deal. You know, there's a show on TV years ago called Connections. It's like, uh, I don't know, some British show. But it was to say, like, for instance, this glass. You think that just came? We've all heard the, the story about the pencil. What does it take to make a pencil? How did we get this glass? Well, first we had to go back to a manufacturing plant. They had to go back to a construction company. They had to go back to some sand that they had to dig up, and then they had to get some silicate, and they had to put... And the show was about all the connections it took to get a little glass. And what I saw in Genesis was all the connections it took to get us to Abraham. So when we consider the call of Abraham... We should consider big things. And in fact, that's why the New Testament rehearses it as a big deal. Now, uh, believe me, I was looking for historical chapters in the Bible that were a lot shorter than what we had today. (laughs) And I said, man, this is going to be long. So I appreciate your patience in listening to the recitation of history. But I want you to know that the nation of Israel spent five hours rehearsing the law vocally back and forth five hours that's what's recorded in the book of Deuteronomy or is it Exodus mental block so today for the for the remainder of this message we're just going to look at Abraham and we're going to look at what I call trigger points because everybody has a life everybody is here today because something caused you to be here And it's not happenstance. It's because God is working in your life. And so it is is for us to seek out a matter. That's what the scripture says. It's for God to hide treasure, and it's for us to seek it out. And so today, I just want to let you know that you're not alone. Abraham had to do this. We have to do this. Our whole life is the course of learning and discerning what God would have us to do and then do it with all our might. There's a lot hid in, in genealogies, and they're wonderful. So at Genesis 11.10, uh, uh, it gives us the history of Abraham's descendants. And I'm not going to rehearse all that. I simply want us to see that the, the book of Genesis is a wide lens that keeps going closer and closer and dialing down and dialing down. So it gives us these sweeping epics a worldwide flood, huge genealogies to bring us to this one section in one genealogy where it says, it says in the text, Terah's descendants. There's just one little family clan. It says, now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Naor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of kindred, his kindred, in Ur of the land of the Chaldees. Now I'm rereading this because the details here is what I really want to pick apart. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren, and she had no child, and boy, that was boring to read. Right? I just read a bunch of names, and that's some history. I mean, if I read your family, it's kind of like watching home movies, right? Your home movies are a blast. Somebody else's are a little boring. We just watched someone's home movie right there. 
that was a little slow because you don't know these people and they have funny sounding names and it's a little uh, estranged. Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, and the son of Haran, etc., etc. So, what are the trigger points in this story? Well, they helped us in, in, in Acts chapter 7. In the beginning of this story, right here that I just read, it says that Terah, that uh, fathered Abraham, Naor, and Haran, and that Haran, that they moved. But how did they move? How did they get from Ur to Haran. Now, Haran is not in Canaan. Canaan is in Israel. But how did they get from there to there? Did it just, did they decide the housing market was better? What was the trigger point? Well, the first trigger point was the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, go out from your land and go from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Now, God comes to Abraham and says, hey, let's go. Do you think everybody said, absolutely, let's do it? Why not? I'm not doing anything. No, these people are living. They're established. There's things that need to happen for everybody to say, amen, Abraham. We're with you. We're leaving. I'm not sure 100% what all that was. But when they get to Haran, now here's a trigger point. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldees. So they move. They settle in Haran. They haven't completed the journey. God has called Abraham into Canaan. But they settle down in Haran. They're only halfway there. So things are kind of progressing, and they get to Haran. And what's the impetus to move on? Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred. Terah died. Now, these people are not thinking that, you know, when someone in your family dies or when a big event occurs, don't you look at it and say, what is the Lord doing? Say, huh, is everything going right? Am I supposed to be, my, my house just got termites. Am I supposed to stay here? What if all the events in your life are speaking one way that are pushing you and funneling you into a different course of action? These are trigger points. I mean, I didn't plan this message today because Foundation Church is going through trigger points. This was just the next message after the last one that I preached last time. This is, this is the movie, and there's a prequel, and there's a sequel. And I don't know what part we're necessarily defining today, but there are trigger points in our lives. Genesis 11.30 says, Now Sarah was barren and had no child. So Terah dies, and the next thing it tells us is that Sarah's barren and has no child. Well, there's another trigger point. Why? Why are these bad things happening? Why is Sarah barren? Why has Terah died? Because God is using these events to speak into their lives. And, and we don't know how they're working in their hearts. But things are happening. Things are not smooth. And I have a feeling that these are things that cause them to not be comfortable where they're at. Not be comfortable. It says the days of terror were 205 years. He dies in Haran. And then the next verse is, and Sarah was barren. I think that they understand they're not quite where God wants to have them yet. Acts chapter 7, 
verses 4 and 5. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into the land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance. So I want you to know that at this point, God says, hey, go to this land. I'm going to give it to you to possess so he's got the whole family clan moving. God is speaking. God is moving and nudging. And they finally get into the land. And this is what they have. This is Acts 7, verse 5. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it. Not even a foot's length. I'm just quoting what the Bible says. Not even one foot. He lands in Canaan. We have arrived. I know it cost us a lot. I know Dad died in Haran. But we have arrived. Isn't it great? And the Bible says he had no inheritance, not even a foot's length. How do you like them apples? Hey, we're going to go do this, and we're going to do that, and it's going to be great, guys. How do you like them apples? Oh, we're going to, it's unbelievable. Not even a foot's length. I just love that text. It's so in your face. Not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him. As, but I promise, I'll give it to you. I promise. <laughs> Can you imagine Abraham? But God promised. He said he would. He said he would. And not only did he say he'd give me the land, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him. And I'm, I'm quoting the Bible, though he had no child. I mean, it just gets worse. Hey, we got land for you, I promise, even though you don't have a foot. And we're going to give it to all your children even though your wife is barren. I mean, it's just getting better. You know, this kind of reminds me of when Moses, God says, hey, you just follow the cloud. Just trust me. It's going to be great. And he leads him through a chasm between two mountain ranges, which means there's no getting out, and leads him to a dead end at the Red Sea. And say, see, Moses, I told you it was going to be great. Wait till you see what I got for you. I've been in circumstances where I where it looks black. It looks really dark. And this message today is not about how your life is going to be rosy and you're going to have a Cadillac. That is not what this is about today. This message is about how God is working in your life and at some point is going to deliver all the promises he said he had for you. And I don't know when that is or how that is. I don't even know if it's in this life. I'm just telling you, God is working in your life for the good. And as we learn to let go of the things that we think are precious in this life, we are set free to actually receive what God really has for us. Remember the last time I preached, I said Eden was not the idea. Eden was a prototype for something better that God had for us. This life and what God is doing is is a fading reality. God has something much better. 
God takes things out of our lives. He sometimes brings us to impossible circumstances where there are no earthly solutions so that we have to rely on him and him alone. Then he gives us a better treasure. Do you know that when you lose your toys, it makes you cry? It makes me cry. I'm not even joking. I'm feeling some circumstances in my life that make me cry. I'm feeling it right now as I'm telling you. It's never easy to leave, leave things behind, to lose your toys, to lose what you thought was the ideal. It's never easy to do that. It's a process that, um, that can be gut-wrenching sometimes, but it is so necessary. Having your leg broken and then having it straightened hurts. It hurts, but it has to happen. Surgery hurts. Rehab from surgery hurts, too. You know, you going, this is like, re, this is like rehab from an operation. You get in surgery, they're going to tell you it's getting to be all better, and then, then the next thing you know is you have months of rehab that are very painful. But it's all necessary. Then he gives us a better treasure, treasure from heaven that does not rust or rot. A city, as I said last time, whose builder and maker is God. So what's the point? God's providential purpose. What's the purpose? Now listen to this. Because if you think getting from point A to point B doesn't... Let, let me say this. And this is just something I've learned. I'm, a, I'm an old young man. I'm 58. I'm getting there. I'm seeing the horizon. But I'm not there yet. But what I'm learning in this life is to get from here to there is not pain-free and it's not without hassles you know I do remodeling and in the trades we say it's always something it's always something nothing just rolls out it, you're you're having a really neat day when everything goes just great you, you know what those days like and you're like zippity doo dah zippity day my, oh, my, what a wonderful day. And, and we love those days because they're not common. When the weather's just perfect, the sky is blue. In fact, you know what just came to mind when I heard that in my mind? It was a beautiful, beautiful morning on 9-11. Because I, I just watched a bunch of specials about it. And that was one of the comments everybody made. It was like a perfect, crystal clear blue sky day. And so what I have learned, and the more, the quicker I accept this truth, the happier I'll be. Not happier, the more sedate, the more prepared, the less moved and troubled I will be when I see the horizon before me and I have to hoe all the weeds. Growing gardens is great, hoeing weeds not so much. But when you know it ahead of time and you're prepared for it, you're like, hey, this is part of the process. This is just what we have to do so that we can get some fruit out of the garden. And so Abraham gets there. He gets the promise. You're going to have land and you're going to have this. Now it gets even better. He says, as the sun was going down. So Abraham says, look, um, promises are great. I'm really not seeing a lot. So God says, well, look, I'll tell you what. 
I'm going to give you some guarantees now in writing. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham, and behold, a dreadful great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not their own, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Come on, man, where's the beef? I'm still waiting. Don't worry, 400 more years, it's coming. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back there in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. So I'll just tease that out, and we're kind of winding down. The point here is, even when the promise is fulfilled, and he says, look, you, you, you're going to be buried in this land. You'll have a foot now. He says, but the big picture, that's 400 years from now. Isn't that something? It's like, it's like the men and women who founded this nation. I don't know if they knew how long it was going to take, how hard it was going to be. And I don't know if they knew that in 300 years from now, it wasn't going to look anything like you wanted it to be. That's a motivator. So, in God's providence, he, he, now this is what I really, this is actually what captured my heart in this whole story from the beginning that caused me to go back pages. Abraham, and I have to do this backwards on a map. So here's the Gulf. Here's Saudi Arabia and, and Ur of the Chaldees. And they got to come up the Mesopotamian Peninsula and down into Canaan, okay? What's in Canaan? It's the cursed tribe of Canaan. These are the bad guys. These are the, this is the hood. This is the hood. God says, man, I got some territory for you. I got prime property for you. I'm bringing you right into the hood where all the pagans live that don't worship me. They burn their children to Molech. These are bad people. And God takes Abraham, and I want you to know that God takes you, and God takes us, and his plan is not to shelf us off somewhere where we're safe. This is what we do. I, hey, when I'm raising my little child, I'm going to keep him safe in a nice, safe atmosphere. But just know that God's plan is not for you to be a separatist. God's plan for you is to throw you right into the fray. There's a great book written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. And you know what it says in there? God puts us right in the middle of darkness so we shine bright. It's a famous book. I recommend it. It's a short read. Excellent book. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, incidentally, was hung by the Nazis close to the end of World War II out of spite. They knew the war was over, but they were going to do it anyway. I want you to know that God's purpose, literally this, this text where he says, I'm putting you right into Canaan. This is what I wanted to preach several years ago at that circumstance is not to take us out of this world, but to leave us in it as a witness, to plow through, to be a testimony to what light is, 
Do you know that our job is not first to bring souls to, to, to Christ? It's first to bring the light of the gospel and the glory of God to a land that it may shine and make plants grow called the elect. That's our job. That's who we are. That's who we're called to. That's what providence does. And providence in God's loving care brings us through difficult times and circumstances. In fact, amazing grace. Isn't that the song you see on the news at every funeral? You know, amazing grace, though through many toils, dangers, and fears in this life, that amazing grace has brought us through. That's what providence does. Providence is not here to bring you through. I'm glad for seasons of rest. I hope, in fact, the rest of my life, God makes it easy. I'm just telling you. I say this often when I preach. I'm a regular guy. I like swimming pools. I like vacation. I like good food. I love steak. I, I'd like to go to the beach in Florida and hang out in one of those pools where you're at the bar eating in the water. I like easy life, okay? I am not here going, asceticism is fantastic. Asceticism is a word that means that you're, you're making your life difficult just to prove that you're holy. Well, because it's the way to beat the flesh. No, no, that, that's not this preacher. I like the good life. I would rather drive a Lexus than a beat-up Neon. I just would. It's weird. I love comfort over pain. It's the strangest thing. My wife's like, you're crazy. Pain is way better. Nope. Nope. I like it easy. I just do. I like it when people like me. I like it when I have no opposition. I like it when uh, my car never breaks down. Right? But that's not the way this life is. And what, I, what the idea behind providence, and I'm going to end now. The idea behind God's providence is that even though you're in a circumstance that seems like odd buckets, and you're just railing at the sky, Step back. Say, God, what are you doing? Like, like, the, like uh, Tim, <laughs> we should be thankful. Now, I really don't think Tim or Mark is saying, let's be thankful for pain. I think what they're really saying, let's be thankful for what God is using that to do in our lives. I think that's the idea behind that. Because I'm not happy about pain. But I have learned... Fortunately or unfortunately, through trial and, and error and terrors and disappointments, to accept that difficulties are really there to help me become better. You know, marriage is an awesome thing, but it is the crucible of sanctification. You are being slammed into life with another person who has all their own things, and do you think that's just by happenstance? Or do you think that's purpose? Do you think God is doing these things that we may become more like him and become mature? I got a new grandbaby daughter, and I like to joke around. When she starts crying and whining, I say, grow up. Quit being a crybaby. Because that's all they know is me, me, me. But when you grow up and you become mature, you learn that you can't be me, me, me. And the only way you learn that is going through things you don't like. Babies don't like to not have a bottle. I don't like to have a car that doesn't work. What's the difference? God is teaching us not to be crybabies. 
He's teaching us to become that which can give to others from the maturity that God is building into our lives. And I think that's all I have to say about that. Go in the grace and the peace and the love of the Lord. Let him work in your hearts and your lives. Abraham had to do it. He had to move halfway across his world just to find out he couldn't get one foot of land for 400 more years. But, the, but Abraham is the father of faith. I, 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 I wish I could say, and therefore, go drive your Lexus home. But what I can say is, like Paul says, no matter what, in rich or poor, I've found contentment in Christ. That is what providence does in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for giving us this grand story of what you have been doing in the world. Lord, we don't know what part of the story we're in, but we know that we're in a story that you are the author of, for you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And we know that what you began in us, you will complete, and we believe that you're good. We pray today that we would learn to be thankful in all these things and to see your hand of providence in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said... Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.